0: to the book of Lamentations. It's been a little while since we've been there. Lamentations chapter number two, actually. Lamentations chapter number two. We left off at the end of chapter number one, um, but a lot of the themes that we have preached on, the principles we've preached on uh, thus far in Lamentations chapter one, uh, are repeated at the end of chapter one. We may reference them a little bit tonight, but we're gonna go to chapter number two. I'm gonna read a lot Uh, Just for the sake of time, uh, I want you to remain seated. Lamentations chapter number 2, and we're going to pick up in verse number 1. The Bible says, How hath the Lord covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud in his anger? and cast down from heaven unto the earth the beauty of Israel, and remembered not his footstool in the day of his anger. Now notice the exclamation point at the end of that verse. This is very serious business. Verse 2, the Lord hath swallowed up all the habitations of Jacob, and hath not pitied. He hath thrown down in his wrath the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He hath brought them down to the ground. He hath polluted the kingdom and the princes thereof. He hath cut off in his fierce anger all the horn of Israel. He hath drawn back his right hand from before the enemy, and he burned against Jacob like a flaming fire which devoureth round about. He hath bent his bow like an enemy. He stood with his right hand as an adversary and slew all that were pleasant to the eye in the tabernacle of the daughter of Zion. He poured out his fury like fire. The Lord was an enemy, he swallowed up Israel, he has swallowed up all her palaces. He hath destroyed his strongholds and hath increased in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. Let's skip down to verse 7. If we could, the Bible says, The Lord hath cast off his altar, he hath abhorred his sanctuary, he hath given up into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They have made a noise in the house of the Lord as in the day of a solemn feast. Verse 8, The Lord hath purposed to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion, He has stretched out a line. He hath not withdrawn his hand from destroying. Therefore, he made the rampart and the wall to lament. They languished together. Now, there's a lot there tonight. Let's stop and pray and ask the Lord to help us unfold it. Father, I do thank you for the privilege to be back, Lord, in your house tonight. Lord, how we need to be in your house every opportunity, Lord, the doors are open. Lord, in the times that we're living, that we might find strength and reinforcement in your word. And then, Father, we might find the courage and boldness that we need to go out, into the world, Lord, and be who we're called to be, and Lord, help to win the loss to you. Help us, Lord, to learn tonight from Lamentations these lessons, Lord, that I believe are so applicable to the times that we're living. And I thank you for what you're going to do, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, that's a lot of verses to read tonight, but there is a theme that is repeated in the first nine verses of chapter number two, and I want you to watch closely, uh, and I think you're going to see it. I'm going to read a line out of each, each verse, so watch closely. The Bible says, How hath the Lord covered the daughter of Zion? Verse 2 The Lord hath swallowed up all the habitations of Jacob. Verse 3 He hath cut off his fierce anger. Verse 4, he hath been his bow. Verse 5, the Lord was an enemy. He hath swallowed up Israel. Verse 6, and he hath violently taken away his tabernacle. Verse 7, the Lord hath cast off his altar. Verse 8, the Lord hath purposed to destroy. Verse 9, her gates are sunk into the ground. He hath destroyed. Now, God's making a point here. In nine verses, we read where the Bible says either he... Or the Lord hath done something. Now what the Bible's wanting us to see and what God wants us to see in these verses is that all of the destruction and all of the calamity that's happening in the lives of his people here in Judah is of the Lord. All right? Pay close attention. It says the Lord hath or he hath. Now here's what's interesting. If you look back up just a couple of verses to verse 21 of chapter number 1, The Bible says, they have heard, speaking of the enemies, they have heard that I sigh. There is none to comfort me. All mine enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that thou hast done it. Now notice, even the enemies of God are realizing that the calamity, the destruction, the heartache, and the grief that has befallen the people of God is nothing less than the hand of the Lord. Even the enemies realize that. Now, the sad thing is oftentimes the people of God are the last ones to realize that what's going on is not an economic problem. It's not a political problem. Oftentimes, the grief and calamity that comes into our life is of the Lord. Why? Because he chastens every son that he loves. Now, I'm thankful that I have a Heavenly Father that loves me, but he loves me enough to give me spankings every once in a while, okay? I know that's not popular. Uh, My mom and dad that are here tonight, they believed in that. Uh, They believed in it wholeheartedly. I assure you they did. I didn't get all that I needed, but I definitely got a fair share growing up, and it just ruined my life, as you can tell, uh, that they chastened me. But my Heavenly Father loves me with a pure love, And my heavenly father loves me enough that he's going to chastise me. And as we read what's happening to the people of God, we see in nine verses, it's repeated, the Lord hath or he hath. Now, what's the point he's trying to make? He's trying to make the point that what's happening to them is from God. Now, sometimes we as the people of God are the last people to realize that. I remember several years ago, I mean, uh, several years ago, I was a teenager, okay, so it was several years ago. I was in Vidalia, Louisiana, and we were doing a backyard Bible club uh, at this apartment complex, King's Apartments in Vidalia, Louisiana. And I remember I was sitting there teaching the Bible lesson, had a group of kids gathered up under this pecan tree, and I was teaching the Bible lesson, and they were paying close attention, but you know, you're under a pecan tree, kids get easily distracted. And so as I'm teaching, I noticed this one kid noticed that there was a pecan limb laying there on the ground I watched him as he picks it up and he's just kind of toying with it in his hand so nothing wrong okay I just let him just sit there he's not bothering anybody and just as if I could see that little red devil pop up on his shoulder I watched temptation begin to take hold in his heart he's sitting there with the stick and I'm watching him look at the stick and all of a sudden he turns his attention to the kid next to him And I'm here teaching the lesson, I'm thinking to myself, there's no way on earth this kid's about to do what I think this kid's about to do. Now, I could have stopped him, but never did I think that he was about to crack this kid over the head with a pecan limb. And as I'm teaching the lesson, he turns around, and before I could say a word, pow, I don't know what had happened earlier in the day that caused that kid to whack that other kid, but he cracked that stick right over his head. I obviously had to stop because now this kid's crying. Uh, And look, the last thing you want is this stranger teaching a Bible club to these kids, and now this kid's crying, and mom and dad's are coming out of the apartments. I think I'm in trouble because they think I didn't hurt their child. All of a sudden, this girl stood up who was in the club. She stood up, and she goes, ooh, you in trouble now, talking to the little boy who cracked the other little boy with the head with a stick. little boy says, why? She says, because this is holy ground. We were having an outdoor church service, and this kid says, look, even though we're outside sitting on the grass, and here's this stranger teaching us a Bible lesson, hey, this is holy ground, I thought to myself this afternoon, how often we as the people of God don't even realize that? We come to the house of God to hear the preaching of the word of God. Hey, this is a holy place. We ought to be a holy people, but oftentimes God's people are the last people to realize exactly what God's trying to do or what thus saith the Lord. I think about America tonight. America has blamed the calamity that we've experienced over the last two years on every source that we could come up with. We have have just pawned it off on political cycles. This happens, you know. We have political rise and fall, and these cycles come and go. And before long, everything of the ship will be righted again. We've blamed it on economics. We've blamed it on politics. But tonight, I believe what we've been going through is nothing less than what the first nine verses are saying in chapter number two. It's of the Lord. I believe the calamity that we see taking place in America is because the Lord hath... Now, this is something that Judah didn't realize until it was too late. Now, folks, I pray tonight that we learn these lessons of lamentations. By the way, remind you, that's why God preserved them for us in his word. God says, I want you to read what the Lord hath done and make sure you're not doing what they did to provoke the Lord to do what the Lord's doing. Why? Because God's no respecter of persons. I love the United States of America. I love our country. Look, I've been to many, many foreign countries, and every time I fly home, I'm so thankful and proud to be an American. I really am. But understand, America is not going to be respected above any other nation that defied God. When we read what happened to Judah here, I promise you we will follow in the footsteps of destruction just as Judah did if we don't learn the lessons of lamentation. So what are those lessons? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to show it to you tonight. In Lamentations, what we read is a stark contrast to what we read in the book of Jeremiah. Now, they go hand in hand because one is cause and one is effect. In the book of Jeremiah, we read a lot about Judah, and Judah's living it up, okay? Jeremiah has a much different uh, atmosphere in Judah and what's going on in Judah than what we see happening here. Why? Because they're living it up. They're not seeking God in the book of Jeremiah. You'll read, the Bible says, they are not seeking him, they've turned from him, they're going away from him, they're seeking pleasure over purity. Does that sound familiar? And their pride has come in the way of their repentance and turning back toward God. Basically, here's what I want you to see. In the book of Jeremiah, Judah is going to have things her way. Do you know God will let you have things your way, at least for a little while? A lot of times we think God's letting us get away with it. No, that's mercy and that's grace. Don't take it for granted because one day it'll all be gone. And then we read Lamentations comes along. So in Jeremiah, Judah's living it up and they're having things their way. But now, watch closely in Lamentations, everything changes. In Lamentations, we see things falling apart. In the first nine verses of chapter number two, we see God, now pay close attention. God is now having his say In the book of Jeremiah Judah did things their way We're going to have things our way. We're going to worship who we want to worship. We're going to live the way we want to live. We're going to have things our way. No matter how hard Jeremiah preached, Judah was going to have things their way. You're not going to stop me. Does it sound familiar? You're not going to tell me how to live. You're not going to tell me who to love. You're not going to tell me anything. And for a little space of grace, God allowed Judah in his mercy and grace to have things their way. But now we see in Lamentations, God is having the final say. Now, this is a very important lesson tonight that we must understand. And that's the lesson of the last word. Tonight, we're going to look at that lesson, if we could. The lesson of the last word. Because I assure you of this, God always gets the last word. In the book of Jeremiah, Judah got things their way. But notice now, it's one after another. God is getting what he wants, what he has to say. Now, here's what's interesting. We know this terminology, especially if you're married. If you're married, you know that terminology of the last word, don't you? Oh, my wife and I, well, I love the ones that are laughing. You're the honest ones, okay? The rest of you hid it very, very well because you don't want to get in trouble when you get home. I understand that. My wife and I understand it well, and it's easy for me to say that because she's in the nursery tonight, okay? We get into an argument, I want the last word, all right? She's going to say something, and then she has the audacity to say, let me just go and think about it. Well, no, you're not going to think about it because I want the last word. I'm going to win this argument, and we will go back and forth, and it gets fierce at our house. After a while, the Nerf guns come out. We have an all-out assault on each other. And then when it gets really bad is when we just get quiet. You know, we go to our corners. But each of us wants to win the argument. Each of us wants to have the last word. Now, understand this. Sometimes she wins. I'll be honest with you. I'm behind the pulpit. Brother Michael, I have to be honest up here. Sometimes she wins and she gets the last word. I've said it so many times, no matter how good my arguments may be, there are times she makes me forget my name. She's sharp when it comes to that. Don't argue with her, she's sharp, but sometimes I win. Can I tell you tonight, when it comes to the matters of the things of God, God's always going to get the last word. You may have Jeremiah, to live the way you want, to live it up and to have things your way. But there's coming a lamentations where God's going to get the last word. Now, there's two parts to this lesson I want to show you tonight in the lesson of the last word. Now, look, at the end of everything, when God has the last word and God's going to get the last word, you're going to want to want him to say something pleasing. And I believe tonight we can learn how we can hear a last word from God that we would like to hear. So look down, if you would, to verse number one. The Bible says, how hath the Lord... There it is, the Lord. Verse 2, the Lord has swallowed up. You just keep reading, he hath. Verse 4, he hath. Verse 5, the Lord. And he hath. Verse 6, verse 7, the Lord hath. Verse 8, the Lord hath. Verse 9, he hath. So we see, number one, watch this. Notice the outcome of the last word. The outcome of the last word is ultimately going to be the Lord's. The Lord has the final say of our life. Now, no matter what road you take, in what path you choose to live in life, no matter what you decide to do, how you decide to live, whether in the will of God or out of the will of God, the outcome of the last word is ultimately going to be the Lord's. Now, why do we still choose to live in rebellion if we know God's going to have the last word? And at the end of everything, At the end of living the way we want to live, going about our own way, choosing our own path, doing what's right in our own eyes. If we know at the end of all of that, the Lord is there, then why on earth would we still choose to live in rebellion? Because we have the same problem Judah did. We are short-sighted. We're very short-sighted people. We live for this moment because if we believe James one fifteen, the Bible says that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. How many of us in our right mind tonight would knowingly sin if we were looking down the road realizing that that sin was going to lead to death? No, we are short-sighted. Unlike Moses, we do live for the pleasures of sin for a season. Right now, America is living the way that it wants to be. Don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me how to talk. Don't tell me who to love. We're living the way we want to live. Why? Because we don't see the end of the road, and the outcome is going to be the Lord. We're going to give an account to Almighty God. And yet, the reason we live in rebellion, whether temporal or a long-term lifestyle, is because we don't realize that the Lord is going to be the one we stand before. Or at least we don't believe it. The Bible says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. 2 Corinthians 5. Knowing that the end of all things, the outcome, God's going to have the last word. Knowing that, the Bible says we persuade men. Now watch this. It's the end and the outcome that motivates our obedience. Now I'll be honest with you. Growing up as a kid, I didn't always obey my mom and dad because I loved them like I should love them. I'm just being honest with you, okay? They're sitting here tonight. I'm just being honest. As a kid, I didn't always obey mom and dad because I just loved them so much, even though I loved them so much. You know what motivated me? It was the outcome. The outcome. What was the outcome? My dad, I know this is politically incorrect, but I have to tell you the truth. My dad had a belt, and he used it for more than holding up his pants. Honest to goodness, I think my dad's pants were just a holder from his paddle, is all it was. He didn't use a belt to hold up his pants. His pants were there to hold up his paddle. He never knew when he was going to need it, so he carried it around at all times. Why? Because he had two sons and a daughter that were born with a sin nature. And oh, the sound that a belt makes coming through the belt loose. Yes. Forget waterboarding. That's cruel and unusual punishment. Brother Nate showed me he's got a paddle at his house. I probably shouldn't have said that. Turn the live stream off. I probably shouldn't have said that. He's going to get arrested now. Made out of wood. Now folks, can I tell you something? It didn't always excite me when I heard that belt coming through those loops. And there were times dad would leave me chores to do. I know that's politically incorrect too, leaving your kids work. Good grief, why would you do something like that when there's video games that they could play? That's why you can't hire anybody in Hattiesburg right now. (laughs) And I would want to go, my buddies are going to go fishing. My buddies are going to go to town, do something, that, or whatever. And back then, I would walk to town. It was safe to walk to town, walk to Hathorne's Grocery to get a Coke or a pickle. Man, they had the best pickles. And you know what got me about my business? That sound. Now, listen, you should serve God because you love God. But if you can't live for God out of obedience, you should at least be motivated out of outcome. The end of all things, the outcome, the last word, it's going to be the Lord's. Ecclesiastes 119, wonderful verse for our young people, really everybody, but our young people hear this out. Ecclesiastes 119, rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and the sight of thine eyes, I mean, all the opportunity that God gives you, he gives you life, he gives you health, he gives you youth. Let your heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. But watch this, there's a colon in the middle of that verse. But know thou that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. God gives you life, God gives you youth, God gives you opportunity, God gives you vigor. Go and live and enjoy life, but live life within the parentheses of knowing that God will bring thee into judgment what is that? It's the last word of the outcome. God's going to have it. No matter how you choose to live, no matter what you live for, you live for yourself, live for God, doesn't matter. God's getting the last word. And knowing that, you know what we should do? We should live for the outcome, not for the moment, not for the sin, for the season. That's what Moses was trying to show us. Revelation tells us a story or a, a true account that's going to happen, I believe, sooner than later. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 19 that one day the armies of the world are going to gather to oppose God one more time. It'll be an army like it's never seen before. And they're going to gather to try to overcome and defeat God. The Bible says that in spite of all of their best efforts, there's a word, a sharp sword, that's coming out of his mouth. No, I don't relish in it. It's going to be horrific. Horrific. But he's going to get the last word again. Because God always gets the last word. Right now, our world is living in opposition and defiance to God. And they're going to live in opposition and defiance to God all the way to the very end. But even at their best efforts, it's the very spoken word of God, that sharp sword that comes out of his mouth, that's going to have the last word. Now, knowing that tonight, how should we live Knowing that God's going to have the last word. He's going to have the last say, and that outcome is all his. Notice the Lord, the Lord. We keep seeing that repeated. Yes, they had Jeremiah, the opportunity to live things their way. But finally, God had the final say, and it's no different for you and I. Now, if you go back to chapter number one, I want you to see just a few things real quick we're going to run through, and I'll give you the second thing. I'm going to let you go home. I'm not going to say that I'm not going to preach long because Brother Micah picked on me on Facebook and said that I went. I love that. That was good, Brother Micah. You have to go on Facebook to see it. How hath the Lord covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud and his anger and has cast down heaven unto the earth, the beauty of Israel, and remembered not his footstool in the day of his anger? Now watch this. Regardless of what Judah has built, God has cast it down. I want you to see that. Regardless of what they built... The beauty of it, it didn't matter, the Bible says, and cast down from heaven unto earth the beauty of Israel and remembered not his footstool in the day of his anger. Can I tell you what God's trying to show us? That regardless of what you build in this life, regardless of what you accumulate or accrue in your life as far as wealth and treasures in this life, it doesn't matter. There's nothing that you can build that God can't cast down. Knowing at the end of everything, look, God can knock it all down. If we knew that tonight, I believe we'd live by Psalms 127.1. Except the Lord build the house, they that labor, the Bible says they labor in vain. We'd build into the Lord. Keep reading verse 2. The Lord has swallowed up all the habitations of Jacob. Notice there's no stronghold that God can't swallow up. Do you know what he's trying to show us here? There's nothing you can do nothing you can build, nothing you can have that God's not going to have the final say on. The strongholds, the Bible says in verse 1, verse 2, he has swallowed them up. Verse 3, what does it say? He hath cut off in his fierce anger all the horn of Israel. Anytime we read in the word of God the horn, it means the power. There's no power mighty enough to stand up against the last word that God's going to have. The Bible says he's cut it off. Look down at verse 4. He has been his bow like an enemy. He stood with his right hand as an adversary and slew all that were pleasant to the eye. There's nothing pleasant that God can't repossess. What is he trying to show us? He's showing us that we can build what we want. We can accumulate all that we want. And we can get as strong as we think we want. But in the end, God's going to have the final say-so. And it's God that determines the outcome. Now, why did he put this in his book for us? He wants us to make sure we're building the right things. He wants us to make sure that we're accumulating things that are going to matter, eternal things. Look on down, verse number eight. The Bible says, The Lord hath purposed to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. The Bible says he hath not withdrawn his hand from destroying. There's nothing in our life that we can build, we can have, that we can dedicate our lives to. The Bible says that God can't destroy. What is he trying to show us? The outcome of the last word is the Lord's. There's nothing we can do, nothing we can have, that God's not going to have the final say so on. So what do we do about that? Well, here's the good news. I want to end on a high note tonight. The second point is what I want to get to, and we'll give you this and let you be done. The second point I want to get to tonight is the opportunity in the last word. Understand this, God's going to have The last word. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. After this, what? The judgment. There's God. There's the Lord again. At the end, there's the Lord again. He's always going to be the outcome. He's always going to have the last word. So what do we do? Do we have no say-so? No, there's an opportunity in the last word that I want you to see. I'm glad tonight to be able to share with anybody, whether here or out on the street, door-knocking, that our God is truly a God of opportunity. Aren't you glad? Now listen to me. God gets a bad rap even among Christians, we look at the Christian life as being so oppressive that if I get saved and I start living for God, there's so many things that I don't get to have and I don't get to do. And boy, God gets a bad rap about that. I was witnessing to a man uh, years ago at my dad's church. Uh, he was sitting on his steps behind the Piggly Wiggly in Prentice, Mississippi. His name was Joe, and I asked Joe why I didn't want to get saved, and Joe held up a Bud Light. He says, I like this too much. He said, I know, and if I become a Bible thumper like you, that I'm not going to want this anymore. And he says, I like this too much. He just saw the Christian life as an oppressive life. No, listen to me. You actually get more in the Christian life than you lose. You understand that? I'm talking about more than just eternal life. You get more in this life. John 10, what did he say? i am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Listen, becoming a child of God and walking in the will of God doesn't take things away, only the things I don't need and he gives me so much more. What I love about John 10, 10, I underline this in my Bible today, it says, I'm come that you might what? Have. Jesus didn't come to take it away. He come that we might have. Why? Because he's a God of opportunity. He told the children of Israel in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 11, listen to this. He says, behold, I set before thee this day a blessing and a curse. God says, I'm giving you the opportunity to choose a blessing or a curse. A blessing if you're obedient to my word and a curse if you're not obedient to my word. God is a God of opportunity. He provided them the opportunity to have blessings. Now, turn back with me to Jeremiah. I want you to see something. Jeremiah chapter number three. I want to show you something real quick. Jeremiah was the opportunity. Okay? Lamentations is the outcome. We're reading a horrific outcome in the book of Lamentations, but really it was in Jeremiah that God was giving them the opportunity to have a better outcome. Watch Jeremiah chapter number 3, and let's look down to verse number 4. Watch what verse 4 says. Wilt thou not from this time cry unto me? Look what God is saying. God says, call out to me. God says, cry unto me. Do you know what he's doing? In the preaching from the the preacher Jeremiah, he's giving them opportunity to come back to him. Keep reading verse number 12, Jeremiah chapter 3. The Bible says, Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return. Return. Do what God's saying. I'm giving you opportunity. I'm giving you opportunity. Now watch, lamentations is the outcome. God says you don't want this outcome because I have the last word. And oh, you don't want God to have that last word be one that you don't want to find pleasing. So how do we prevent that last word? We take the opportunity. Keep reading verse 13. The Bible says only acknowledge thine iniquity. So first he says in verse 3 to cry out to me. And then he says in verse number 12, return Verse 13, he says acknowledge. Verse 14, what does he say? Turn. Look at verse 22. Return. Do you know what God was giving them through the preaching of his word? Opportunity. Do you know what our outcome is going to be based on? Our outcome is going to be based on our opportunity and what you did with it. Now, I'll promise you, Jeremiah was not popular. Read the book. He was not a popular guy. Kind of makes me feel good, Brother Michael, sometimes that this Jeremiah wasn't popular, all right? And maybe I'm not always as popular as I would like to be. Hey, he wasn't popular. Why? Because he's preaching truth. But watch this. In the truth that he was preaching, even though they didn't want to hear it, do you know what the truth was bringing? Opportunity. All they saw was the fact this preacher is trying to tell us how we shouldn't live our lives and do what we want to do. But he was presenting an opportunity from God. Why? Turn to chapter 5. Watch this. Go all the way to verse 31, the last uh, verse in chapter 5. The prophets prophesy falsely. And the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. Stop right there. The people love to have it wrong. Things were not right, things were corrupt, and the people love to have it so. But watch at the end of verse 31. And what will ye do in the end thereof? Do you know what God was trying to do through the preaching? He was trying to get them to think about the outcome. I'm preaching return. I'm preaching call out to me. I'm preaching turn from your sin. Why? Because there's an end. What will you do in the end? Do you know when you reach the outcome, it's too late to do anything about the opportunity? Do you know when we stand before God, it's too late to respond to God during imitation? How often is the word of God preached? And the Holy Spirit of God pricks our heart and brings conviction in our life to either get saved, to walk closer to God, or to surrender our lives to God, and yet we say no to the opportunity, and we stand before God and we reach the outcome of that last word. It's too go- too late to go back and do anything about that opportunity. What will you do in the end thereof? It's too late to do anything about it then our outcomes are going to be determined by what we do with our opportunities and how we're obedient to the will and the word of God when it's preached. I think about our country tonight. America has become, in my opinion, nothing less than a nation of victims. Everybody's a victim in America. Now, I don't know about you, I don't want to be a victim. But the reason people want to be victims is simply because victims gives them an excuse, victimhood, from being obedient to what they know is right. But victimhood does. But I'll tell you, living as an American, I don't think anybody has an excuse at a negative outcome in America. Why? Because we're the land of opportunity. If you don't believe it? You need to go to another one. You really do. And go see another. At least go visit for a little while. And you'll come back and realize this place is not so bad. It's not so bad. It is truly the land of opportunity. And with all the opportunity that we have, there's no reason for you to have a negative outcome. But we have to become victims. Why? Because that excuses us from the outcome that we're going to have. Now, it may work in America, and it's working, and it's popular, but it's not going to work before God. Can I tell you why? He has the final say-so. God is a just God. God sees through all of our excuses on why we have the. God, you know what? I just couldn't because the world and society. And then, oh, he's going to bring up Hebrews chapter number 11. Oh, that's the grading curve for Christians. He's going to show us who wandered around in sheepskins and goatskins, those that were sawn asunder, those that refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, those who stood as bright lights in a dark world in spite of the circumstance. And God's going to say, well, they did it. What's your excuse? our outcome is a direct result of the opportunities we took or we didn't take i thought about it this way we used to believe in american exceptionalism and now i believe we believe in american excuseism we love having our excuses and it works in society but it's not going to work before god turn with me real quick to romans chapter 1 i want to give you a couple of things before we go romans chapter number 1 what are we trying to see here your outcome is going to be affected by what you did with your opportunity. Romans chapter 1, we're going to see some more people <clears throat> who had an unfavorable outcome because they missed their opportunity. Look down in Romans chapter 1 in verse number 18. The Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Now, can I tell you what the wrath of God is? Unfavorable outcome. All right, unfavorable outcome. You don't want that. So here's God in verse number 18, just being mean, because God just wants to be mean. But wait a minute. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Now, wait a minute. They had the truth. Keep reading verse 20. Or, or verse number 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Now watch this. The wrath of God, the bad outcome that we don't want, is a direct result of them not accepting the opportunity that God gave them. The Bible says God has showed it unto them. God made truth known unto them. Look, we serve a, a holy and a just God. The outcome that we, that we get of the wrath of God or the chastisement of God is a direct reflection of the opportunity that he gave us, and yet we rejected. It. it. says, he has showed it unto them. Now, here's what's interesting. Look at verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. No excuses. We hear the story oftentimes. What about this lonely native on this uh, far island who has never had a Bible? How could God send them to hell? Well, the Bible says the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. As he looks around and he sees the sun up in the heavens, it rises every morning. He sees the order of seasons and like clockwork, it happens. And that ordered complexity is always evidence of intelligent design. And he starts thinking, somebody put this all together. You know what's amazing? All of these far distant tribes on different countries and different islands, they're always worshiping something. Do you know why? Because they recognize that all of this is here because of something greater than themselves. So they see it all, and then they start pursuing, well, what was it that put all this here? And as they respond to the, the creation of what God did, then God provides them the opportunity to come to know him. But when God provides the opportunity and we reject it, the Bible says in verse number 20, we are without excuse. Without excuse. See, the outcome in verse number 18 is a direct result of the missed opportunity in verse number 20. Now, I don't know about you. I want a favorable outcome. That when God has the last word and he's getting it, whether it's the great white throne or the judgment seat of Christ, he's getting the last word. No matter what you build, no matter what you accrue in this life, God's getting the last word. And I want that last word or words to be well done, don't you? I want that more than anything. The older I get, I want that to be well done. And no matter what excuse I have for why I didn't live a life pleasing to God, I'm going to be as these who rejected God without excuse. Why? Because God gives us opportunity. Could I say woe to us Americans who hear the word of God preached on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. We have a stack of Bibles at our house. We have godly grandmas. And we have evangelists that come through. Woe to us. Why? Because God has showed it unto us. God has showed us the truth. We hold the truth in unrighteousness. He has made known what is right. He has given us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And woe to us if we blow the opportunity, that we should not be surprised at the outcome when he says that we are without excuse. In the end, our life, the outcome, the last word, listen, we have the opportunity to influence that. Aren't you glad? You don't serve an unjust God who's just going to dole out punishments based on how he feels. No, he's going to render to us according to our deeds and our works. You know what those are? Opportunities. I read an amazing story about Alfred Nobel. We have heard of him. We all have. In 1866, he invented dynamite. What an awesome manly invention, right? Dynamite, 1866, he invented dynamite and quickly became a very rich man. It was used in construction, it was used in warfare, uh, all the applications you can come up with to do with dynamite. Uh, he got credit for it, and he amassed a fortune of over $225 million in today's society. That's, that's a lot of money. 22 years later, his brother would pass away. And in his obituary, his brother was thought to be Alfred. It was Ludwig who died, not Alfred, but they thought it was Alfred. And so Alfred got to read his obituary and what people thought about him, even though he hadn't died. Wouldn't that be neat if we all got that opportunity? It'd be scary. Some of us wouldn't want to. He got to read in his obituary. And in the obituary, it says, the man who will forever be known for inventing the most destructive force on the planet. When Alfred Nobel read that, he says, I don't want to be known for that. I don't want to be known as the guy who invented the most destructive force on the planet. So at that moment, 22 years after he invented it, he decided that he was going to take his money and and make sure that his money went toward good. And upon reading his will, I think in 1896, when he died, they read his will. And in his will, all of his amassed fortune was going to go to five awards that promoted physiology, biology, all of these studies, But most notably, peace. And today, Alfred Nobel is best known not for dynamite. Most of us probably did not know Alfred Nobel invented dynamite. We know him from the Nobel Peace Prize. Now watch this, beautiful picture. Alfred Nobel, before he reached the end and the last word, he decided he was going to take the opportunity to make sure he influenced what that last word was going to be. And he says, I don't want my my name tied to the most destructive thing. As a matter of fact, he said in his will, I don't want to be known for destruction. I want to be known for peace. And he chose to take the rest of the opportunity he had to make sure he influenced the last word that would ever be said about him. Now, folks, none of us know tonight when our end is going to be. But if you're drawing a breath tonight, you know what that is? It's opportunity. It's opportunity. And we have the opportunity right now to influence what the last word's going to be. Listen to me, young person. You say, well, I turn 40. I'm going to start living for God. Our teenagers here tonight, I wouldn't count on making it to 40. Not because of how some of you drive, but I believe the Lord's coming back. I believe the trump of God's going to sound before many of you make it to 30. And so therefore, we take the opportunity we have now to influence the outcome of what the Lord is going to say. One final scripture I'll give you. In Luke chapter 10, we know the story of a man who is known by the opportunity that he took. Now, the story in Luke chapter 10, we don't know the man's name. We just know him by the fact that he took the opportunity that God presented him, and now the outcome of his life speaks of the opportunity, who is he? He's a good Samaritan. Now oh, you think about the good Samaritan. There was a Levite and a priest. There was the religious people. They come along and there's the man laying there in the ditch. They decide to pass him by. You know what they did? They passed by the opportunity. And we don't know anything about them guys. We don't know who they are. I don't know. There's no names. And yet there is a man who is known as the good Samaritan. The outcome of his life, watch this, the end result of his life, God included in his word. The outcome was he's the good Samaritan. Why? Because he took the opportunity. Now, folks, the outcome, the last word of our life, is going to be based on what we do with the opportunities right now. In Jeremiah, he preached, turn, return, call out to God repent. He preached, he preached, he preached. But you know what they said? Nope. We're going to have things our way. And you can walk out of here tonight just like Judah. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to have things my way. I'm going to have my say of how I live my life. And you can. You can. But no matter what you decide to do and what say you desire to have and what way you decide to live, God gets the last word. The Lord hath. The Lord hath. The Lord hath. Live how you want to live in Jeremiah. There's a lamentations coming, and the Lord's going to get the last say. He said, well, I stand before God. I hope he says this, and I hope he says that. Right now, you decide what he's going to say by the opportunities that he's given to be obedient to his word. So tonight, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed,